Mission 2, San Jose Avenue. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Total SF. It's our Toy Story Week, and welcome Rob Morris. Hey, how's it going? Doing really good, Rob. I'm wrapping up this Toy Story piece. Uh, my guests today are a couple of animation legends, Andrew Stanton and Bob Polly, both very early Pixar employees who helped make the original Toy Story. So we've been working on this Toy Story project for the last couple of months. Do you remember how it started? Yeah, kind of. I mean, like, like as an editor, um, you know, we're kind of enamored with anniversaries. You know, as you can imagine, you see anniversary stories all the time. And I'm just kind of looking at some of the big anniversary dates for pop culture moments related to the Bay Area. And earlier this fall, I'm like, oh, my God, 25th anniversary Toy Story. And I think about an hour later, I was like, hey, Peter, do you want to talk? <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, you want to write this story for me? Yeah, you know. I, I was at first, I'm generally a little averse to anniversary stories. But then this one, I got into it really quick. Because I remember every time that I've interviewed someone from Pixar, I always ask them about um, Toy Story, if they worked on it, if they went back that far, what it was like. And I always get a great story. And I thought, let's all throw this into one story. Let's just assemble all of those stories and tell the story about the making of Toy Story, which I think is unique in a lot of ways. It's, it's not what people think. And I think it's unique because it happened in Point Richmond, not Silicon Valley, not Hollywood, not even Emeryville. Um, I wanted to invite you in, in part, because you are a Point Richmond resident. And I want to know, when did you find out Toy Story was even made in Point Richmond? So it was sometimes shortly after I moved here. Um, so my sister-in-law, who used to live in Point Richmond, but now lives in Emeryville, where Pixar is now, um, she was just kind of driving my wife and I around, kind of showing us the place after we moved here. We drove past some like nondescript strip mall that I'd never even pay attention to. And she's like, oh, hey, that's where Toy Story was made. Pixar used to be stationed there. And I'm like, what? No way. You know what I mean? Because it's like, like Emeryville is so um, associated with Pixar. I didn't even consider that it would be here, you know? And then that just got me thinking, you know, like what did happen here? You know, what was what part of the uh, Toy Story was created here? All of it? I didn't know at that time, you know? Um, and that's why part of the genesis of this idea to do this big Toy Story package was so appealing to me. Because I just personally wanted to know. Like, I want to know how much of this came to life in Point Richmond. Yeah, well, that's what I asked all these people. I ended up interviewing, um, I think, nine people and then took two interviews that I had done previously Um, Today's episode is two of those interviews. It's Andrew Stanton. He was a screenwriter on Toy Story. He went on to win Academy Awards. He directed Finding Nemo and WALL-E. And Bob Pauly's kind of one of these Pixar people that does a ton of things that maybe it doesn't get the headlines, but is just really integral to a lot of these films. He's a production designer on some of the later Toy Story movies, and he helped design Buzz Lightyear in the first Toy Story um, and they're just telling stories, Rob. I mean, we hear about scooters. We hear about how close this production got to being shut down. What a small company it was and how much they loved Point Richmond. And we get a couple of really good Steve Jobs stories from these two. Uh, Jobs was the CEO of Pixar. But again, it all kind of comes back to Point Richmond. And that's like kind of the focus of the story. And that's a lot of what they talk about. Yeah, and it's cool. I mean, for me, again, as someone living in Point Richmond, it's cool to know that I think one of the most um, important moments in animation history really happened here. You know, yeah, I, I think it, you can you can make the claim that the entire genre shifted after Toy Story was debuted. 
Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me, Rob. Andrew Stanton and Bob Polly coming up. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is Total SF. Welcome, Andrew Stanton and Bob Polly. Uh, so great to have you on today. Good to be here. Great to be here. Yeah, part virtually. Virtually, <laughs> um, we actually were having a great discussion about uh, the archive. I'm in the Chronicle Archive right now, and and Bob, you have uh, a Toy Story paper from 25 years ago. Um, yeah, I had to hang. I had to hang on to this thing. It was, uh, you know, that was a big deal back time. At that time, we were in the in the front huge. page of the Chronicle. Yeah, so yeah, I kept this thing. Now I don't know what to do with it, but we'll take care of it. We'll, it, we'll it, throw it away. We were high on the fact that we made a movie. <laughs> yes. <you know? laughs> How much do you think about it? We're hitting the 25th anniversary mark. How much right now and through the years do you think about that time, 25 years ago in Point Richmond? With each passing year, you try. To less and less think about it because it makes you feel so old. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Actually, we have no choice but to continue thinking about it because Toy Story has just stayed alive in our building forever. You know, we just got off of four, so it kind of never goes away. Um, but what shocks me—I don't speak for you, Bob—is that every time we, you know, you get less frequently, I go back to see it because I think there's part of you just doesn't want to abuse anything. <laughs> And, and get sick of anything, but it always shocks me how good it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, how how much it holds, you know. Yeah, yeah. We had a there was a screening I had a, I, I went down to with Ralph uh, Eggleston, the art director, and it was in Los Angeles. It was an outdoor screening. This is just pre-pandemic. This is uh, maybe end of last year, and it was an outdoor screening. And, and there's some we were on stage talking about it. Little intro. And then they played it, and they said, you're ready to hop in the car? And we go, oh, let's hang around. Well, well, I haven't seen it for years. And it was stunning. It was funny. I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, You know, personally, when you look at it, oh, I should have done that. Oh, that was a mistake. But but, <laughs> but the crowd, is it was mostly young kids. And a couple of older folks had, had watched it at the time. And it, they were laughing and having a good time. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself. So, you know, credit to Andrew and Story, because it's, it, it's a great story, and it holds up. Well, it always makes me think of this, um, you know, really seminal moment, which is about two years in, about maybe a year in, like 92, 93, when we were starting to make it, but we hadn't really made inroads of any major import yet. And we had this, we had this decision to make because we were going to, we realized, oh, we're going to, because there were so many other competing computer graphics companies, not a lot, but that were all doing commercials at the same time. So we felt we had, we were in a bit of a race with who could do the first feature. And we had this decision to make, like, do we want to invest more in the technology or do we want to invest more in the storytelling um, as far as our resources and our long-term goals and stuff? And and I remember that we, we basically said, like, let's, um, let's put it, all our eggs in the storytelling basket. And let's, we, we, we quoted, um, like, we, we, we referenced uh, Snow White, Wizard of Oz and Star Wars as three movies that you still watch. This was in, you know, 92 or something. Yet you can see all the, the strings and the tape and how it's all made. And yet you're still, you still get enthralled. And we said, we want to be in that club. So we, it was kind of at that moment. 
from then on, we said, we're actually a story content company, not a computer company. And it took probably, what, you know, 20 years for people to see us that way. But that was intentional all along. And so I always feel like the best thing that we could have done was make such a good movie that it forced us to have to meet that bar from then on. I, I look in the Chronicle archive here, and our earliest stories about Pixar were not even all about it being an entertainment company. We have a, we have a photo here of Alvy Ray Smith standing by what looks like a chest x-ray, and a whole story about how Pixar is going to pivot to medical equipment. So I wanted to ask you, Andrew, I, what what employee number were you, first of all? And second of all, I mean, how, how likely did you think it was that you were even going to make a feature film? Well, when I started there, uh, there was no talk about that. That was talk with between John and Ed and Steve and stuff like that, stuff I just didn't know about. Um, I was fully intended to just be their second animator after John to just uh, to be working on uh, you know commercials with oranges bouncing around and straws and things and and um, and was happy. I mean, we were considered kind of the bastard department of this 180 um, person company that was doing all this medical imagery and software and going to make Pixar computers and stuff. And we were just kind of this demo group, and I was employee number nine of that group. And in the six months that I was there, this is January '90, um, they laid off the company twice. <laughs> there was two layoffs. And suddenly we were down to like 25 to 30 people for the entire company, and I was among that group, and we were like, what is going on? And it, in, in, that, in that small time, uh, it, talks had gotten more serious with Disney about possibly making a uh, feature animated film for them, um, but that continued on for quite a bit. It was, kind of a, it was kind of just a little parlance between the two of them and testing the waters, and it took another year or so after we made more and more commercials uh, for it to become a reality. And um, but I just feel like just a lucky guy in the right place at the right time. I had nothing to do with it other than that showing up for work. Bob, you were uh, working on Nightmare Before Christmas in the Bay Area, is that right? Yeah, that was before. That was a little before uh, getting into Pixar. I, I, I was in work on freelance for a while. I did some work in Colossal Pictures, um, you know, commercials and some little short stuff. And but it's funny when you talk about the early kind of influence and what they were doing early on. There was, you know, Tin Toy and Luxo and that, those sort of things. And I still have uh, my, uh, what was it, rejection notice from 89 when I first uh, applied because... We it, rejected you? <laughs> you did. You rejected me, man. Well, I the wasn't thing, there in 89. I wasn't there in 89. <laughs> well, but because but early on, there was all those short films that you'd see only at the animation festivals. And you yeah. see these film, short film after one another that, that at least the computer type that that were oh these are these aren't so good I mean they were they were fantastic to watch but they didn't have the story and then all of a sudden I was caring for a lamp or a snow globe and it was that struck me so I said I'm I, I want to work for those folks those those they know where they're going I remember when we interviewed you this is when we were so small <laughs> that everybody in the group inter anybody we hired everybody interviewed them That's right. because we were so small and we all worked in one room we had three timeshare computers, maybe four by the time we were interviewing you, Bob, and one phone in the middle of the room that everybody grabbed for, if anybody was calling. <laughs> and we timeshared those computers. And so it was super important to us that more than anything, sure, you had to be qualified for the job, but could we handle being in a room with you all day with like first, second, and third priority? <laughs> Which was actually very um, fortuitous because we ended up hiring 
you know, people that were really good uh, coworkers and, and, and good apples, and, and, it, and it sort of started this culture of uh, teamwork that was really Absolutely. healthy. It was kind of a family in that sense. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I was doing freelance for a little bit, and I remember some of those meetings putting stuff out, and everybody was there. <laughs> and, it's, it's, and it's so informal. It was so kind of relaxed and easygoing, which is super. Yeah. I mean, I knew I wanted to be and, there. And Bob was the reason we had a scooter culture because he was forced to take all his scooter collection, if I have this right, from home, right? And he had to and well, bring it to work. Please and, tell me about that because your, your interview number, I think, seven and eight, and I've been hearing a lot about the scooters. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there was, I think, uh, Elliot had a scooter at one point, and then I, I, I heard the stories before I got there of Tom Porter and his kind of crazed uh, Was he pre-you? He was premium yeah. with scooters, and so okay. when that when I showed up, so you brought and, more because of his scooter. Then that must be what it was. Well, yeah. I show up on scene, and there's scooters, and you're racing in the hallway. Hang on, yeah. I'm going to grab some scooters, and so next thing I know, I'm I'm starting a fleet, and I've got them all over the building, and it was yeah. it was I I couldn't think of another way to get around the building except on a scooter. It was so much fun, and these yeah, are not these are not the razors. These are like the big chunky, you know, yeah. air tired sort of thing. There's just bigger because in 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 the uh unbeknownst to me when i got hired in january 90 they had already planned to we were leasing buildings from ilm which used to still be in marin and they had uh had to move out their lease was going to run out the end of like may or june and so they got this building in point richmond specking it for like 250 people for possible growth (laughs) from the 180 and then the two layoffs happened and suddenly 25 30 people move into this building that has room if need to to like comfortably fit 150 200 people so people would pick offices that were like way out in the boonies and uh and and and, uh, and so you really needed scooters to get to somebody's office yeah it had that kind of 70s vibe in a way it had you know carpeted these these kind of corporate office looking thing it, it was you know we yeah. we were a big contrast to that place and so we were doing whatever we can to dress that place up and to, to get around. Yeah, it was right. like I we were scooter. We were, we were like a version of Soho in an industrial park. Like the artists <laughs> come in and taking over the bureaucratic, you know, business offices and just like just messed with it. Yeah, that's it, right. That's we really don't... what sta- that's really what started this weird culture of the uh, sort of the art the animation den that's in the uh, official studio now was just, you know, make it your own. Just, like, dress it up. <laughs> we had so much real estate to play with. What was it like yeah, and with it was, people, sorry, what was it like with people uh, coming in? I mean, because there were, like, 25 of you, and, Bob, you were hired pretty early on, and then all of a sudden it ramps up to, you know, 125 or something like that. What was that experience like as it expanded? Well, I mean, I can say just early on, we used to have a thing. Remember Andrew Company Lunches? And company lunches, mm-hmm. you you made lunch or bought lunch for everybody in the company. It was in the cafeteria, right? And we just would oh, bring stuff right. in. And it was, oh my god, it's my week. Oh crap, what am I gonna do? Uh, let's. Uh, I'll make. I uh, hated when it was my week. I hated it. it. You gotta hide, hide. <laughs> I, you know what's funny? I might be sick that week. Uh, but it was, it was that small where everybody was in this one cafeteria. Yeah. So, and, and it was kind of, uh, you know, when when it grew, I mean, it grew because we had to, right? We just we. Yeah, we were a small group. We just had a big job to do. So, I remember a gradual climb. Like to me, my memory may not be correct, but I feel like the first year and a half on Toy Story, which I consider the, the, the official start of Toy Story to be in ni- early '92, okay. and uh, and that next year and a half, I felt we doubled. But that was like maybe 60 people, 60, 70 mm-hmm. people. So I, I felt like 
the, in a weird way, the, the core group I was working with, the artists and stuff like that, kind of got to this dozen or two dozen people, and it just kind of felt like that remained that for a bit. Yeah. And we just took up more more real estate with boards and stuff like that. And then it kind of went to this phase from 90, mid-93 on where suddenly we had a whole animation and tech crew. But they but they kind of were, you had to go to those wings to see them. But it, it kind of is just like, it's like your hair just gradually grows and you don't really notice, you know what I mean? And it's like when we were done, suddenly we're like, oh, my gosh, we're 160 strong, right? Um, that's when it felt big was when we finished in a weird way. Yeah, I, I think it was kind of a, a smaller, like a little family. And I just remember just, you know, it was Bill, Tia, and I, and later Robin and um, Terry was managing. But it was only a small group in the art department. So that kind of stayed. But it, you're right. Everybody else kind of yeah. grew around. Animation grew biggest, I think. But it was this kind of a... It, was like the, it felt like you these, these inner circles stayed and then concentric circles grew around it, you know? Right. Absolutely. As this is growing, um, how sure were you that this film was going to get made and and were there was there a near-death experience or two um in terms of toy story getting made <laughs> well there's the famous one that's probably you know still the only one to really talk about which is when we did such a bad screening of uh the movie and uh, we were maybe chronologically halfway through it was maybe early 94 and um and I think that there, uh, nobody will admit to this, but I think that there, um, there was a lot of debate for a long time about whether we should be down south or not as a production and that it, whether it was a smart move from Disney's part to not be able to over, have more oversight. And I think there had been a desire all along before me ever coming on that they wanted John. I think if they could have waved the magic wand, they would have had John in house and be one of the directors at Disney Animation. He just didn't want to. And I think the only reason things happened the way they did is because he, he stuck his, to his guns and wanted to form his own place up north and, and with Steve's backing that happened. So, so I think when this, when this film suddenly had a, a, a real moment where it was in doubt content wise, they, kind of left it the chance to say okay there, now we have a valid excuse to say, you guys have to come down even if it's in an interim way you guys need to shut production down and come down and uh i can't remember the details i wasn't in on that phone call but i was right there after the phone call when i uh, john or 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 a combo of them convinced them to get, give give them a give us a couple weeks i think it was like two or three weeks to just turn it around and um what had happened is that we had kind of had our own instincts beaten out of us uh, early on with Katzenberg about going to Pixar. I mean, at the time, we can call it Pixar now, just tone, sort of our slightly irreverent tone, but slightly cute, slightly sarcastic, like just whatever it is that gestalt that we all know. We were still figuring it out, and so our first pass was very Pixar, and it kind of got beaten out of us to be even more biting, even more um, sarcastic, even more sharp and and all the stuff that was more in our zone uh, was called juvenile at the time. So we wanted to learn. We wanted to make a movie, so we were good citizens. And so we spent maybe a good six to eight months kind of pushing it in that tone, and it just didn't work. And because we had nothing to lose in that two weeks, like just give us two weeks, leave us alone, and we'll try to save it, we just went kind of back to our own, own instincts. We didn't have the time to touch everything, but we strategically redid enough of the key moments and put them in the tone that we all know Toy Story to be now. Because we kind of felt like 
it's do or die. Like I'd rather if we're if we're gonna, if this is all going to fall apart, we're all going to have to move south. Um, I want it to be on our. We wanted it to be on our terms, and you know, and ironically, that's what saved us. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it, it kind of, in a weird way, uh, brought us to the surface who we were. Well, you know, I was working on Buzz and 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 helping. Uh, Bud had done Woody, but I was we we're kind of modifying yeah. it for the computer and get it to work. But you know, it's funny when you mentioned those days. I we knew that was happening, but we had such a list of stuff to get done to build <laughs> for the movie that that like I I can't even think about that. I've got so many things on my plate. So we were just hustling as fast as we could to get things done because it's an enormous. We're building the world. So from characters to sets and everything. So. I think that was, uh, it was in our minds, but it's like, yeah, I'm just going to keep my head down and get this stuff done. So yeah, we had a, there's a lot of characters and sets to do. And of course, then we were kind of maybe a little more close to the story. We were right around the corner. And so a lot of the designs came directly from story. You know, Bud was in there. We took it, his designs. Andrew, you had a lot of yeah. stuff to do. I mean, there was, there was this great kind of collaboration between the departments, uh, even though we're separate departments, yeah. but we were a team. And I should so. mention, a lot I of mean, we're literally across, literally across the hall. It was like handing off. And, and Bud is yeah. Bud is Bud Lucky, legendary Bud animator. Lucky. Uh, he did a short for um, Pixar. I got to meet him for it, Bounding, which is fantastic. Yeah. But uh, yeah. a lot of the Sesame Street stuff that I grew up on. So he's kind of an older guy in there, and really important in Pixar, and also yeah. known because he's voiced a couple of key characters. So yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, he was key to coming up with a cowboy uh, theme for, for, for Woody. Yeah. yeah. We'll be right back after this short break. So was there a eureka moment? I'm going on the other direction. Was there a point where you saw something, were in a meeting, and just were like, holy, this is going to work? Well, I, I remember one. I'm just going to say, I, I remember... Uh, we hadn't seen much, and you know, we're we're drawing stuff, sending it off. I'm we're working modelers and everything, but hadn't seen a lot of renders. So we, I remember, I don't know if I remember when this was, Andrew, but I remember uh, it was kind of like a daily thing. But they're showing, and this is of course in the old screening room where it was full of everybody's old couches. But they were showing on film because that's what we had at the time, uh, the Army Man sequence, and it was mm-hmm. the first one because it's really it was really one character copied. It was it was the best we could do at the time, you know. And so I remember going down there and. All along, this you know nobody knows Pixar. Where it's it's a risk. I'm, I'm we're all enjoying ourselves, but I hope this works. And I remember going down there, of course, on the scooter, and then going in and watching it. And it's no sound. It's just the thing. And thinking, and my jaw dropped. Like, oh my god, this okay, this this is uh, this is uh, uh, credit is good here. I'm going to be here for a while. This is this is going to work out because <laughs> it just had it just had the. The cinematic and the uh, the nature of it, it was so, it was a good, that works without any di- dialogue anyway. So it has great storytelling, great lighting at, for the time, and it was uh, it was amazing to watch. So for me, that was like, okay, I can, uh, the checks are going to keep coming. This is going to be good. I'm going to pull out. <laughs> for me, it's, it's, it's several key moments spread out over the whole thing. Like, I mean, I was so fortunate that that john allowed pete and i to be in his inner circle of thinking and stuff so we really got to be part of the growth just the birth and growth of this thing so i remember being there when we came up with the idea of a newer toy knocking off an old toy and just and immediately going that was it like that was the fulcrum of everything that even though the story changed so many times that from there on that never did 
just that we were that we kind of it's like the Beverly Hillbillies we like struck gold right there and we're like oil started coming up right from that idea and we just knew that we never let go of that sort of pivotal thing and then I remember sort of the sub one when we, we were hitting a lot of walls and maybe I don't know how many months later and then John and I kind of whispering to each other while we were working on a commercial and, and said what if one of them like what if they fell out of a van and got and they were both lost and had to work together after that like I just we always would talk about it for years afterwards about how that was another huge piece of the puzzle that kind of put us back on course um, so those are very special to me because I just remember exactly where I was in the room the, 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 the moment of recognition in the moment it wasn't something there's so many things that you so many ideas that you come up with that you don't recognize till later were a good idea but those two like in the moment you were hitting and then the other one is very shallow at the very end the first time we showed it to the cast and crew screening with an audience I think it was in Santa Monica, if I remember correctly. And we were sitting there. I told this to, um, to Annie Potts. She and her husband were sitting in front of us in, the, uh, in, in wherever row we were in. And the, once the, the, the movie was over and the lights came up, she turned right around and looked at us and goes, you guys are going to make a shit ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, really? You know, and, and, uh, it, it just remembered, like, just the look on their faces was just like, they were, like, you felt it in the whole room, but like, they're, they're, they just personified this the blown away attitude everybody had. Nobody saw it coming that had worked on it that weren't, weren't in the production itself day to day at Pixar, uh, uh, the leap it was going to take, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been described to me that, that Richmond facility, and you mentioned exactly where you were um, as you know holes in the walls from the scooter race, uh, chaos in the animators area, just absolutely. Bob, someone else described your desk to me. Um, oh boy. So, yeah. Uh, question: <laughs> What did Steve Jobs think of this? Because I think of him as like the neatest man, and I see what Pixar is now, and I've been in the animators' alley, and I know there's creativity. What did what did Steve Jobs think of this Richmond mess? And I, second sub question: Did you get your deposit back? <laughs> I don't and know, Andrew, you might know. I don't know what the deposit, but I got a good Steve. I saw three times in the, my first four years there, ninety to ninety four. Those the first two times were the two times we had to be laid off. So in the first six months, I see him twice <laughs> in the building, the layoff happened, and coming in. And then. As far as like being in the same room with him, like I saw him from afar, but like, like he didn't, she didn't show up a lot. And I, and I, and I, and I think he was honest that he wasn't sure about whether he had invested correctly at all in this company or not, or if he was going to see his money back in. But then the minute they made the deal to make the feature, he was a dog with a bone about the future. Like he was always talking about literally a studio, a brand. Like we all, we all use the word brand now. He tossed that word around every day, like, and we were like, what is he talking about? It just, it felt in a weird way, like, you know, we we're just like dumb 20, 30 something artists, like thinking it was, you know, we just want to make a movie. Like we're not in a brand, we're not selling cereal, you know, but it, right. it, it, it but now he, he looks, he, you know, it shows how forward thinking he was. He wanted to make sure we didn't come across as Disney's animated feature. He wanted to make sure we, that you knew that when you got a Pixar film, it meant something different. And that started from him, from the day he knew we were going to get to make a movie. And so he kind of was out of the biz, uh, out of the, out of the day to day, pushing all the outside way it was going to be seen by the rest of the world was his big agenda. And, but what I knew the world had changed. We were about six to eight months out from release. So it's got to be like spring, early summer of, um, 95. And suddenly one day he 
walks into my office. I didn't know he knew who I was. And he just sits down and starts talking to me like, like we're friends. And, and I just remember clocking in my head like, oh, he wants to know who were the key players in making this movie happen. Like, that's when I knew we were in good stead. Like, I, like, oh, he knows we're onto something that's going to work because he, he's all, cause he never was thinking about now. He was always thinking about later. And, yeah. uh, that was, that was a key moment. That was the day I started to know Steve Jobs. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, you see him, I saw him a couple, couple times in the hallway and so forth and, you know, one of the meetings or two, but never that close. But I do remember, and this is slightly later, right after Toy Story, where, you know, it's slightly after release, but we'd already started doing a little bit of Bugs Life work. And I remember being in, uh, the office. I had, uh, it was late. You know, we had a lot to do. So it was seven, eight o'clock or something. It's pretty dark. I've got my lamp on. I've got papers all over the floor. I'm just trying, we're working on flick, trying to work out flick and some of the ant stuff. And in the shadow, in the shadow in the hallway, in the door, in my doorway is Steve Jobs. And I think I'm out of here now. He's look at this mess. He's going to be so pissed off. And he says, how you doing? I said, I'm doing well, you know, and I was trying to get it, solve a problem. And he said, well, glad everything's working. And he said, and he kind of looked down and saw everything, smiled and says, keep going. And just left. And I think there to me, that was an endorsement, and maybe that's why I'm still a little messy. But but it was he he, had, he believed in in letting people go. Like that's why he wasn't honest all the time. He was he's he wasn't honest because he was letting us do our thing, and he didn't want to interrupt. And I felt like he doesn't want to get into the mess. He he appreciates the creativity. So I mean, we had a lot of time years later to talk about it and reflect on it with with yeah. him and and or, and and or him to tell us and stuff. And so he saw us as like a skunk works. He, he he at the time. Yeah. We were this scrappy group, like the same. He would always equate us to the people that made the Mac, like just sort of like put off from outside of all the other um, uh, corporate involvement and stuff, and just do your thing, just just invent this thing and solve it, and so whatever it took. And so, so I think there was a respect there. What what rubbed off on him much later, we always called the lost years, you know, his years in the desert, ten years with us before he went back to Apple, was um, under. He really, you know, he was. He was always open-minded and, 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 and a student of stuff, um, and he just really witnessed how a productive crew works on a movie or, you know, the equivalent of putting on a show. And I think he really got a lot out of it, and a lot of, of our, our culture rubbed off on what he, how, how he morphed Apple when he was back. Well, that's a, that's a great story, and I could go on all day, but uh, I think that's a great way to wrap it up, too. Um, I just wanted to thank you guys, and, uh, and, and these stories are so fantastic, and uh, I've, I've heard from a lot of your colleagues, too, and I, I'm really looking forward to writing this. Thanks a lot for coming on and talking about Toy Story's 25th. Cool. All right. Appreciate it. It was, it was fun welcome. to talk about it. Thanks for making me feel super old. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Peter. Super fun. Thanks. Bye bye. Yeah. Darling, it's 2 a.m. And it's time for closing. The cops, they're all sideways. And I think Aaron's You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Andrew Stanton and Bob Pauly. Total SF is a production of The Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. 
Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by treating yourself to a digital Chronicle edition at sfchronicle.com slash pod.